Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. My name is Reginald Harris. Where I'm from, Sunday morning scrambled eggs and crab cakes, Rice Krispies, Cap'n Crunch, Tony the Tiger's Frosted Flakes, Gospel Choirs and Big Band Swing, Duke Ellington and James Brown, Mahler and Aretha, The Temptations, Patsy Cline, Lorca and Neruda, Alice Walker, Morrison, Walt Whitman, Audre Lorde, Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, Essex Hempel, Gwen Brooks. Red row houses with white marble steps, Finback Chryslers, gas station gifts, gold-tooth barbershop politics. Blue lights in the basement, the hustle and the bump. Roxanne, Roxanne, don't rock the boat, moments in love, rapper's delight. Mighty Mouse and Mr. Ed, the Munsters, Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny, the Roadrunner, Fred Flintstone, Flip Wilson, underdog. Enter the Dragon, Sparkle, Car Wash, Cooley High, and Ben. The Hippodrome, the Royal Theater, the Mayfair, Cherry Kool-Aid, Now and Laters, Mike and Ike, Lemonade and Iced Tea, Half and Half, Yakame with Ketchup. Six wings and fries, rice and peas, fried plantain baby backs, lake trout, lake trout, fly-collared flower shirts, straight-leg jeans, white woolen-heeled platform shoes, Saturday night deep house after hours, humid summer dawns. How about them O's, hon? Going across the street, washing the dishes in the sink. Don't sweat it, yo. I got you. Up until a few months ago, I would say, uh, welcome to the Pratt Library. My name is Reginald Harris. Um, I am part of the Systems Department of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. However, since October, I can now say hello. My name is Reginald Harris. Greetings from Poets House in Manhattan, where I am Poetry in the Branches Coordinator. It is a very strange, very strange transition, wonderful transition, um, and it's a wonderful and strange pleasure to be back here for uh, the annual Cave Canem reading. Um, we are, we'll figure out a little bit later how long we've been doing this, at least five years, if not longer, uh, where we celebrate the um, family of African-American poets, that is Cave Canem. Uh, for everybody that has um, not used to this uh, thing, I I'll also always have a tendency to say, you think you came to a poetry reading, in fact, you came to a family reunion. Cave Canem is a nonprofit uh, created in um, 1996 by Tori Derricott and Cornelius Eady, where uh, each summer a group of poets um, gathered to participate in one-week workshops. Um, right now it's outside of uh, Pittsburgh, but I I'm old enough to remember when it was at the monastery in upstate New York. You young kids don't know what's going You know, you missed it. But anyway, and it is intense and wonderful and amazing. You do have to write a poem every day, which is easy until you have to write a poem every single day for a week. Um, then it becomes almost impossible. It is an extraordinary event. Um, and you're about to see some of the fruit of that extraordinary event uh, today. Um, a few housekeeping tips. First of all, thanks once again to Judy Cooper and everyone here at the Pratt Library. I do want to point out our... Yes, thank you, Judy. Thank you, J.D. So today what we have is our... Is our... Is... A group. Our... A group. Anyway, you got a bunch of poets here. Um, and we are going to be reading in uh, pairs, I guess, except... Uh, I think there is a little bit of a change. I do know that one person, um, unfortunately, could not uh, make it today, and, and possibly a second person. We'll have to see. 
Um, so I will be reading a poem by Lamar Wilson. Um, don't worry, he was, in a, he was in an automobile accident. He's fine, the car's not. So he, he won't be able to make it. And we were waiting for Dwayne Betts, who we hope will be able to make it, but maybe not. So in any case, um, I will pretend to be Lamar Wilson for a little bit. So we're going to start off with uh, Kamal, uh, Kamal Rucker. Uh, well, I'm just going to read a few and, uh, of, from the book, uh, The Heat This Moment. And uh, they're in no particular order uh, of theme, just uh, some musings, if you will, uh, that take you wherever they take you, hopefully good places. All right, The Measure of Your Discipline. This poem about a poem about a poem celebrates a man writing hieroglyphics in Chinese characters or Sanskrit, a chicken marking shifting sand, an artist writing calligraphy with his teeth a child's painting about mother or father or God. In ancient times, when one was cast out of favor, they were hurled into the stars, a bottle on the beach stuffed with parallelograms. How many bodies can you fit inside each box? How many digits make a connection? One, 907, a phone call, a call to Alaska. Squid ink, caribou hide, elsewhere, blue clay, enemy blood, mystic bindings carved in rock. This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Clicks, beeps, bright white letters, flashing red lights. Please contact a breath on on glass, scarred with a finger, a howl, a whistle. Scratch this in dirt with a stick. Joni loves Chachi. Joni loves Chachi. Through tricorders, on talking drums, Singing sticks via smoke signal or carrier pigeons, synchronized bells, one for a letter, each with varying pitch, heard in dream or seen in vision, if without a voice, a heartbeat, one pebble against the glass, one hand against the same. Um, (laughs) So I've been talking to folks I I teach to, and, and I talk to folks about ugly beauty, you know, and beautiful ugliness, and how we're always in that kind of paradox of sight and repulsion and attraction and fear. Um, And so this is Butterfly Kisses. One, swept clean by a blast of wind, swept clean by a wave of heat and light, the conversion of energy, mechanical to chemical, chemical to thermal, and radiant. Is it wrong to say radiant? Is radiant beautiful? Two, a gong, a deep gong, struck by the base of a heavy reed is an anthem. All the neighbors come, standing together by a makeshift shrine. What's left of a bamboo closet filled with the Buddha, thick jungle air, the scent of incense, and prayers? Three, prayers like this, early, exposed, choral, incessant, spare us, protect us, accept us, set a place for us. Four, can you paint a straw hat, repaint it goldenrod? Every time a shot is fired, you hold your breath. Check for your body. Everything spills. Let the crone tell your future with open palms, snaking through intestines. You will live a long life. So I go to Charlottesville a lot, right? And I love Charlottesville, Virginia. 
uh, and they have all this random art around, which is fascinating and wonderful and strange all at the same time, you know, that paradox of Charlottesville. And, uh, and so I, I worked through that, and the last thing I saw is one of the last images in this poem, the last time I was there. A teapot, a headless man, a landlocked whale. One, and just as simple as lightning, overturned or tipped, always ready to unleash, steel and stasis, gargantuan in portion, in weight, good to the last. Only a small flood, if a flood. Perhaps a shower of promise, of prosperity, of happenstance, everything gathered up. Two, go briefcase, go hat, both tipped sidelong and perpetual, wind not static, but always leaving and coming back like salmon, still playing betting games with the sun. See, like that. A little extra work now and then, but... See, button broken by being ripped, not wait. Try, stop caring. Let go. Shape coat like a balloon and watch it off like sails. Untrapped, not helios. Nobody wearing black. Three. When painted, captured, trophy-coated and displayed completely earthbound. I doubt they plan to maintain it. Sweep off again and again the rust from remains, tail curved in the midst of a plummet, tail cut from the body, never to touch the earth, suspended by one corrugated steel weather-worn rod, encrusted whale skin out of ocean in discourse with or ripped by a shark. One of my recent fascinations is, uh, I call it the, uh, the interplay between people and those fascinating things that happen between things like what we say and what we mean. And uh, sometimes saying it without saying it, you know, the this saying it. <laughs> right? And uh, it's called The Gates. It comes in parts. There's a lot of part poems today, I'm sorry. Flesh. I remember that time we swim so long that both my arms and legs were tired. You look back and ask, give up yet? And I kept swimming. Ceremony. On the beach, you asked, why'd you keep going? You look like you're going to pass out or something. Warm pop tasted like piss. The ride home stung. After failing, falling further and further behind, I stopped trying to keep up. You waited at my fence. Want to go back tomorrow, you asked? Sure. When? Transformation. If we keep touching, we'd never leave. We didn't stop. Let's go. Never come back, you said. And we let out like birds. I love oddity, especially uh, intentional oddity, right? Um, oddity that you just do because it, whatever, right? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter in the end, does it, right? And so, uh, and so I, I watch when I go to different cities, uh, you know, especially around the states, what each city's own oddities are. So uh, this is an amalgamation of oddities, I guess. Vanishing acts. For lack of punch, someone spiked the water. A dominatrix returning home from business wonders, wonders if she should have her carry-on scanned at the airport or ship it. In a variation of downtown, in a city once loved, the space between buildings seems more like a canal than a sidewalk or a street. There is a terrorist on the plane, but the bomb is in the trash can by the loading gate, not in the cargo hold. X waited all morning to tell Y that he did not know, does not know, if he should miss her or despise her or excavate his own guts for a clear point of view. 
two tall gentlemen conspire or agree or find themselves or are placed at the exit row. His stomach folds, not his hands, an act of conciliation or pride or contrition. In one room, a singer introduces history. On one avenue, asphalt worn to cracking surrounds a luxury hotel. It's good to see you. It's fatal. Maybe we can catch up later, perhaps fancy. I remember. It's the only thing that's true. It continues to be impossible to become invisible. The world is too small for the two of them or the group of them or the mass. They inhabit too small a space. In a street's sunlit shine, a woman with lint-lined cornrows stands in a glass doorway. A train conductor, two or three hours into his shift, announces the station and reminds us, traveling makes you no one. Everyone will go home. Every person, every body goes home. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> well, um, I'm just going to do one more and call it a day. Uh, and so in final, uh, or in final two, I, I love music, right? I, I think uh, I do poetry, but I always come back to music. And I do writing, and I always come back to music. And I, uh, I do a lot of different weird things. I always come back to music. And I think uh, there's something, as in the early, early beginnings of time and space and location, that always kind of founds, founds us and grounds us, right, when you get to the music and just the sonic range, and you live there for a second. And you wait, right? The players. In one scene, they play to clattering clothes. Hand snaps and show you right. Classic cl- crash against and rebound off the walls. The trumpet wails, then screeches, then echoes. The cymbals whir till the house lights shine. Old Pap presides with the raising of his hand. The revelers wake on the tiger tail of a sweet daydream of memory. In another scene, the room is spare. Tables and smoke crowd the room like ghosts. They've been here since the last five years. They've been here since the last five days. They've been here since the volume dropped and the power gave and the bar was rousted, since little Ray hit the drum so hard his sticks cracked and he kept playing. The players blare another swing set. A fan who attends a last show on the circuit rushes up with a beat-up camera, talking about how he heard them play a year ago at the gate. He sends a copy of the picture to the drummer, the only one with a steady address. The five jazz cats sit uh, closing on a soapbox stage. The five of them sign the picture and send it back, writing, Thanks, kid. This made it worth the pay. Signed Simon, Ted, Old Pap, Little Ray, and Jack, the players. And lastly, I'm going to close with uh, this one. I'm going to go ahead and end. Sorry, I keep dropping that paper because I can't control wind. I'm sorry, wind. The power of wind, behold. Um, okay, you can have it. Sweep, sweep, sweep. And uh, this line, I, uh, hopefully we all get these lines that stick in our head and kind of scare us and, and make us realize where we are at that moment. It's been an interesting year for that, right? Uh, To realize where you are in total at a moment 
it's kind of scary and fascinating and wonderful. All these dichotomies today, I'm sorry. Sweep, sweep, sweep. And the, the epigraph is, uh, it's late afternoon, whoever belongs here is gone, by a poet called Michael Chitwood, named Michael Chitwood. The last star of last night has been sold for a song. And Mary, sister this time, sweeps ashes off the dark side of a step. She sings of 12 days, of three months of last year. And this time when she smiles, she swears lilacs. Lilacs the length of an ocean. The length of a sail blown out, its ship capsizing, falling into air. Every lovesick sailor thrown to squall. Every squall thrown to sea, closing up. Its harbor master, its wayward apprentice, its doctor of water, gone priest. Throw a little salt, a little kelp, a little beer. Tell them that everyone goes home. Tell them to pray, to whisper, to weep, to weep like the first time. Like the time before this, creeling, this feeling kept, crept up and took them like that squall and threw brother on brother onto what seemed like rock, hydrogen and oxygen strong enough to break bone. First and fifth brother riddled with breaks, and who knew their names? A scrawl in a cabin log, a log soaked in sea, ink broken to its elements. Humans compound and bloat and slip into the deep, blue, green, black, and gray. Night like a fan, blowing one tile of dark after the next over cloud. A cloud sold for daylight, another daylight sold for song. Sweep, sweep, sweep. Tell them this time when they call to bring bread. Bread enough for a miracle. Bread enough for a host of prayers. Thank you. Thank you, Kamal. Kamal Rucker. Um, as I mentioned, unfortunately, Lamar Wilson could not make it. Um, however, I will... Uh, <clears throat> In honor of him, I will read a poem that he sent, uh, one of the poems that he sent for us to, uh, to read. So this is Ratiocination. Outside, looking in, I cannot place you, though your breath tickles the hairs in my nose each night. They will not go away, no matter how often or how closely I clip them. And you will not let me penetrate you, no matter how many times you let me penetrate you. You smile in your sleep more than you smile when you are awake. And I, like, and I like to watch you from this distance. This must be how mercury feels deep inside the heart of this red and brown clay, deadly when we touch its ruddy gray, slick hot as that planet closest to the sun, hidden from earthly view by that star that burns all flesh it touches and eludes us all the same. You are soil like me, soiled and sullen like me. Together we cannot bear fruit. O oh, lover, in this full moonlight, teach me how to hide inside the embrace of three-quarter you, half you, quarter you, full of me. That's Lamar Wilson. Um, and now, um, a poet we are very happy is here to join us. <laughs> I feel like doing a, that, that game show thing. The lovely and talented, but she is lovely. She is talented. She's also got a great eye uh, in terms of photographer. Rachel Griffiths. Hi, can you hear me? I want to thank Reginald and Judy and the Pratt Library, and it's great to be here with Kaveh Khanum family. Um, the first poem I want to read is actually not mine. 
Um, it's a poem by Lucille Clifton. And um, I knew I was coming to this room today, and I remembered that the last time I was in this room, Miss Lucille was still alive. And so um, I wanted to read the poem because um, it's interesting for me to be in this space and to think about her today. My dream about falling. A fruitful woman such as myself is falling. Notices she is an apple. Thought that the blossom was always. Thought that the tree was forever. Fruitful a woman such as myself. The fact is the falling. The dream is the tree. This poem is called Name Testament, um, and I've never read it actually before, but I have a birthday tomorrow, so I thought I ought to thank my mother for naming me. <laughs> thank you. Name Testament. Devout to the water, a woman stood beside a well and held her plum-hued syllables over its mouth. A man approached. He stared beyond her veiled head. The well, the fig trees, the swollen setting sun, a river of lambs bumping her hips wide as a mouth. He called her Rachel, for in oceans of gods had hewn her name from a stone of blood, a valley of wool, green as moss. From the stars that fell to the water and floated, emptied as shells on the lips of waves, her name, a ray of hell, a crunch of sand upon the primal tongue, a wand of cotton torn from the used dress. Who are you, woman, lamb, saint, sister of Leah, forgotten by God, Horgem, mother of Dan and Benjamin? My mother always loved this name, its love story, its two-starred cove, Rachel, Bend these six letters to the frail fingers of a lamb's ribcage, the ache of birth my mother bore. She loved love stories almost as much as the light that shone through the skin of my five fingertips. When the blood glowed bright as a scroll, when the first gale of air failed to kill me, Rachel, Hebrew, you, beauty, barren, my mother's comfort to my father's bones. That myth of Rachel is alone by a well when Jacob approaches. He slips brass bracelets from her wrist to her elbows, those iris hills of bone that bridge the arms. He parts the cleft of her veil where the face cannot shield itself, and the lambs circle, their bleeding halo the space between her fingers where he returns to Eden through his lips. Rachel a six-sided urn for the ashes of a lamb, the word for the cinders of blood that stain within. And that dead womb of my mother's I was born, and live to claim the twisted songs of my throat, my name, my name, my name. When Jacob came, the Bible says, he was struck by the sight of a woman dipping a ladle into pure water. For Rachel, Jacob worked 14 years in the fields, shearing sheep, whispering her name to God, to stalks of gold, to wet figs and cloying herbs that held a shadow of her taste. 
I see us merge, her, beautiful, barren, me, alive, both of us smiling against our hungers, all of our night thirst, all of the scraped gourds. I am rain on my mother's tongue, breathing testament of woman hymns. The name veils the years, the lambskin cloaked his shepherd shoulders every evening as Jacob passed Rachel at the well, her eyes large as doves, her name tangled in his mouth, wetly black as wool. Thank you. This poem is called Ode to the Gazelle While I Bathe on Sunday Evening. Um, and it was written in response to um, a poem Hi. by um, Yusef Kumanyaka called Ode to the Drum. Ode to the Gazelle Why Bathe on Sunday Evening. Gazelle, you are mine. Your corpse pounds into me like music. We shift chords in this clear pool of brine and blood. Tears curve sharp as fish ribs. The drum under your heart is now an orchestra of birds and gods. Your faces, ebony, brass, amber, and gold, I kiss. Bones slide down in the white porcelain tub. You leap from the hunter, your neck cocked to the hammer, the cry inside your mouth like a soaring horn freed from the trunk of a white tree. O oh, animal heart, I am you this evening. Green water makes the hide soft and rutted, mute brown throat of a river. Gazelle, my drum, you cannot die. I want to be more useful than memory, after the body is bathed with vinegar and death. I want to be more ancient than language or hands. Nothing kills the drum after the skin begins its new life as a song. Yes, we were once animals. We cannot die twice. Thank you. Fragments of a poem I would like to give you on your last birthday. If we missed a season, it was spring. Didn't we start on a haunted lake against our better selves? Didn't we sheaf fall and winter into letters? And weren't those summer words nodding mischief into our imperfect mirrors? If I miss burdens, they are the licks of your dark hair against your ears, blue sunrise sheets whitening against your legs. Didn't we try to walk together on a straight line in cities made of circles and squares? If I miss God's voice, voice it is yours, rising and slowing into crawls against static page and ear. Didn't my voice shift beneath yours as a body does? Didn't our gods have a good laugh? If I reflect on these three seasons we have shared, I must at least account for last spring where I looked into orange petals for your face. Where I asked the river of your absence, didn't I question you about all of this, my sad and useful melancholy? If I have crowned your head with my lips, made palaces of your silvering temples, didn't we know such monarchies were built with bones and tongues and the fidelity of their words? Didn't we know that words 
would be all of this absurd republic? Would our villages be so clearly vacant now? If I have gathered apology and memory into the night, as a woman does gather her hair against her bare shoulders, and if that woman sits by prophecy in a corner and rolls her tears into her own mouth, is she more full or less empty? Is her heart a distant word or a forged city? Just have one more. Thank you. So I just um, have one more. And I want to say thank you so much. Hymn to a Hurricane. For the grace of fingers that could not grasp edges, corners, or anchors. For hands that were too wet to bridge the chasm of inches or rope. For the wrist and its bending digits. For the drowned infants who floated like wood past the dark hulls of their mother's bodies. For the day's old corpses of women and men whose wheelchairs became graves. For children who were too shocked to speak their identities. For the ghost of their voices that haunt the flag to which they were taught to pledge allegiance. For the rainbows that assembled in their waters, diseased with gasoline and blood. For the voices whose rage thundered like thunder inside the stadium because they refused the musky death of animals. For the men who fired guns at helicopters that passed over their own nearly submerged heads. Over and over the helicopter blades word promises of water and bread and help. While mothers and daughters, brothers and fathers drowned. Their lives devoured by neglect. Lives gave up on the living and floated to dark, drier islands. Torrents rose over broken levees. Dead cattle bobbed along interstates. Highways unfurled into ribbons and graves. The president remained on vacation. The secretary of state shopped for shoes. For Charmaine Neville, who commandeered down Canal Street, while storefronts were shattered and bodies were raped. Helpless fists pounded the bus windows like bullets. For the junkies who needed something stronger than death or a dream to placate their addictions. For the residents who refused to abandon the corpse of New Orleans. And for a husband who could not save his entire family because he only had two hands. For their house split in half by water, for his wife's last words, you can't hold on and hold me. For the absence of God as she dropped his hands and gave herself like a petal to the gulf. And for her son who understood as he climbed onto the roof by the help of his father's two trembling hands, that his father only a man and not a god could not save his mother's life from something as inexplicable as water. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel Griffiths. As I mentioned, and I don't see him, the other Reginald 
Uh, Dwayne Betts, who was scheduled to be here, unfortunately cannot make it. Um, so sadly, you're stuck with me. I'm Reginald Harris. In honor of uh, being back in Baltimore and here in the Poe Room, in case you hadn't figured it out yet, those of us who have been around here will remember that, um, I think sometime in the 80s, I think, Vincent Price actually came to um, the Poe House. Poe po is buried here. Um, there are two graves, because it's Poe. Um, there was the, there's the place where he started, was buried, and then there's another place that they moved him to a few years later with an actual monument and all that. And the original one is still there and sort of empty because nobody wants to be buried in the grave that Edgar Allan Poe was. But there's also a Poe house here as well, uh, P-O-E. In addition to the P-O-O-R house, there's the Poe house, uh, which is here. Um, a lot, lot of po, lot of po houses, but only one po house. Um, and um, interestingly enough, um, it is um, right next to the projects. I mean, literally, there's the po house, the projects. So, this is Vincent Price visits the po house. They crowd around you, enthralled, possessed, enchanted by their big screen memories of you. Scared and thrilled, Dr. Fives come back to life, abominable again, come to the projects to steal them away. They venerate you here, the haunting stuff of late, late show dreams, the chilling trills in the voiceover in Michael Jackson's thriller, elegant, gaunt image of escape. Here, the rats are real, not the trained stuntmen of Hollywood, the peeling paint leaden, dragging generations down. Crackhead zombies roam the streets, wolf at the door, no metaphor. No ravens knock, knock, knocking, but note holders, landlords, the local runners looking for this week's cut. The photographer says, look out the window, think Poe. The section of the city remains liminal, drowned, on edge, even after a hundred years. Denizens still prematurely buried under the, race, under the weight of race, poverty, and crime. None of this was in the scripts. You wish you could go back, demand a retake. You begin to know what haunted him. Finally, in this tiny house, you begin to understand him now. This, um, thanks. This is for um, a couple that I know who've been together for what seems like forever. The secret of our success. Dishes pile up and get washed. Laundry accumulates and gets done, eventually. Days become weeks, become months, become years. Fall asleep, and it's been a year. Turn over, and it's been a decade. Wake up, and it's half your life. The youth-filled thrill unspools into routine, endless as aisles in grocery stores. Passions bank into embrace, a look, a touch, the familiar, the body as warm blanket in winter. Memory betrays, juggling future, past, and present. Was there a before you met? Another summer, another birthday, another anniversary, a new year, and your lives go on. Thank you. This is... Um, in keeping with the photography, which we notice the sort of images that people have talked about. It's great. We have two poet photographers here, which is wonderful. Um, this is um, um, sort of, I guess, 
uh, based on a photograph by uh, Jeffrey Henson Scales, which was uh, at a show um, at the Baltimore Museum of Art a number of years ago. Um, seems oddly fitting now. Five Young Men, 125th Street, Harlem, New York, 1989. Their heads shape out of music in the air, singing from the museum's whitewashed walls. Freshly clipped and clean from the barbershop, ready for a new Saturday. Their moves tumultuous as hip-hop down the street, on the edge of something just beyond this momentary pause. Right outside, the cameras flash. Just guys, just friends, just young, just beautiful. The opposite of urban fears. Across 125, the Apollo calls them to the stage. A sixth man floats beside them, mirrored in the glass, nistling to docents, misexplain their lives away to suburban housewives in town on a dare. Their music calls. One leans forward, edging toward Zup. Another smiles. A gentle challenge drums from eye to eye across five faces through the glass. We know who we are. Do you? You know who you are. We know who you are. Do you? Um, and finally, um, in keeping with, uh, one of the things about Kavikana, well, since we mentioned Kavikana, as I, as I said, it's a week-long workshop. Um, it's um, this family, it's this group of people from across the country, um, although um, many of us are on the East Coast, uh, much to the uh, disappointment of people on the West Coast. Um, and um, that's so slightly and slightly an inside joke. Um, and uh, we also keep to, uh, to keep together. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, four, five, six, anyone? Okay. Do I have seven? Do I have seven? All right. Here we go. Here we go. How many people get this? Um, but also, um, and it's a... Um, uh, continuing conversation and forwarding of uh, <laughs> uh, videos by email uh, and and other things which manage to keep everybody together, um, which is sort of extraordinary. Um, and one of the other things that we tend to do um, um, as we get together is we sort of try out newish things. Uh, whether they work or not is another question, but still we sort of, it's comfortable, it's family. You can make a fool of yourself in front of your family. Um, they'll talk about you anyway, even if you don't make a fool of yourself. But in any case, so this is uh, based on uh, back when I was uh, asked but didn't tell in, in the Coast Guard. Um, this is Captain Blackman, uh, based, uh, which relates to the John A. Williams novel. Um, and this is the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Westwind in Pascagoula, Mississippi. I've never recovered from being in Mississippi, actually. Uh, but anyway. <clears throat> live, 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 right, live, live, live. Live right, live. I step into the line, the black men of the Coast Guard Cutter West Wind, on the way to officer's call on the docks in Pascagoula, Mississippi. We don't march but swagger, strut, distinctive bops from the cities of the east and west, midwest and south, melding into one firm cadence. We were taught in boot camp, distinctive left, right, left, drilled into us by black sergeants, most blocked from rising further, determined to mold us into something. Something bigger, better 
better than ourselves to make us their own. Taught us to march forward, then on a dime, drop in reverse. Saunter in the opposite direction, in formation, and not miss a step. Astonishing outsiders. Not much call for that now, it seems, on our ship in dry dock in the south. Left, left. Left, right, left. I step into the line, march back to Bunker's Hill, the snows of Valley Forge, the sunny plains of Yorktown. Left, 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 right, left. I step into the line, smoldering Atlanta at our backs, Richmond in our eyes, blessing cheers of the freed around us in our ears. Left, left. Left, right, left. I step into the line, the job, fighting others as dark, darker than ourselves across the west, back onto the reservation. Left, 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 right, left. I step into the line, marching back from Paris into Harlem's teeming streets, Europe's rhythms ringing in our ears. Left, left. Left, right, left. I step into the line, stopping Hitler, the Japanese, the freedoms we were fighting for, back into the throats of white America. Left, 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 right, left. I step into the line, besides my uncle, outside Pusan, both gay. We share laughs, cigarettes, and secrets only men like us know. Left, left. Left, right, left. I step into the line, help my paratrooper uncle into his harness, pray the jungle air will leech him of his madness before he lands back home. Left, 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 right, left. I step into the line, reverse march through the looking glass of time to a swamp of sand, cradle of civilization, locked in shock and awe. Left, left, left. Left. We step into the line, march forward, then reverse on a dime, saunter in the opposite direction, in formation, not missing a single step. True believers, our boots echoing down the docks of Mississippi and beyond, determined, bigger, better, all our own. Left, 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 right, left. I step into the line. Oh. Thank you. No, I'm always amazed. Everybody says, you never look nervous. I'm petrified. Um, and now, from the, re, uh, where's, my, where's my list of who's reading? Oh, my God. And now, it is with great pleasure that I bring up Robin Koss-Lewis and Carlo Paul. Robin, if you would, please. Thank you as well. What a wonderful event. I'm always blown away to come to a Cav Academy event because I feel so humbled by the talent, so humbled by the talent of you all. I'm, I am so um, very grateful that I got accepted to Cav Academy, and I'm just always blown away that I get to share my time with you all. Um, I want to thank the library and Reginald and Judy and the staff. Thank you for doing the sound work. Thank you very much. Before I go on, I just want to um, ask... Uh, I want to take out some time to acknowledge that Margaret Musgrove is here. She's my um, dear friend's mother, but she was also the first African-American to win the prestigious Caldecott Award in 1976 for her book, Ashanti to, for, to Zulu. So thank you for coming, Mumsy. Thank you so much. Um, okay. Um, the first poem I'm going to read is called Red All Over. It's a list poem of riddles. Wittgenstein has this wonderful thing. He says, you know, language is so amorphous and so organic, it's a miracle that any two people can understand each other. 
So um, you lovers out there, take heed. And I'm sure no, most of you guys know the riddle of what is black and right and red all over. This is red all over. The politics of frogs, the must of butterflies, elegies of cotton, the whiteness of flies, interruptions by snails, a lie's guarantee, the hope of succotash, a chorus of hominy, permission of the persimmon, observations by the spine, the pincushion's reassurance, the propaganda of a line, cackling from the Bible, orations by the dog, the mirror steady rifle, the fig tree's scarlet log, Anne's and their derision, lending library in the eyes, Patois's agnosticism, the tongue's chainmail of why, lady calling from the ocean, invisible man on the moon, Lindy hopping dead upon the ceiling in the living room, girl asleep in the avocado, the minstrelsy of the floor, bickering birds of paradise picketing our fickle front door. Uh, the majority of my work for the last several years have been has been either about black popular photography and or about popular photographs of the black figure in American photography. Um, Cathay Canham has this weird thing, I think, where everything ends up being connected when you go to an event, so it's weird when everybody's chosen to read. My family's from New Orleans. I'm going to read a couple of poems about African-American men serving in World War II. This is called From to, based on, um, it's based on a photograph, and the next two uh, poems I'm going to read are also based on historical photographs. From to, at last, a dark, murderous lunatic to whom they are allowed to respond. Here, no one expects them to be strung up by their necks, dangled, and then left to be cut down from a tall tree and not cry. No law here will require them to watch their families hurled on top of the world's bright pyre over generations without complaint, unattended by rage's holiness or the clear mirror of grief. They find some chalk to celebrate. While one loads, the other lifts, then checks. Just before they ignite the bomb, they write on its shell, from Harlem to Hitler then stand back for the camera, smiling. This is called Beauty's Nest, 1951. Jim Crow welcomes you home to the Grand Canyon just after midnight. I should say, a lot of my work is like frastic about, photo about photographs, but a lot of my work is also meta-ekphrastic, I guess, where it's like, this should have been a picture, but no one bothered to take it. Um, this is Beauty's Nest, 1951. Jim Crow welcomes you home to the Grand Canyon just after midnight. It's based on a story that my father told me often about his return from Europe after World War II. Beauty's Nest renders the body mute, an elegance so inconceivable it's violent, extreme. It hurts the heart to see something so vast and so deep can also be made of dirt. 
And if it can be of the earth, the body ponders, might such a landscape exist also within me? The four of you stand silent on its rim while the imagination tries to conceive all the things it is still too dark to see. You jump back into your wide tan Ford and begin to drive again, again, past all the motels and their signs, which, were it not just after midnight, you know and could see, say, whites only. This is The Wild Woman of Eichen. I could go into a whole thing, but it's the, wild, the title, the full title is The Wild Woman of Eichen, album and photograph on Orange Mountain by J.A. Palmer, 1882. It's a photograph that was taken by a photographer um, who was critical of Oscar Wilde's idea that anything could be beauty and, beautiful. And to make a point, the, the photographer thought it would be interesting to bring some things into the studio and stage a photograph of the things that were so inherently ugly. Um, to kind of critique Oscar Wilde's theory, and the things he brought into the studio were a sunflower, uh, a hand-thrown vase, and a black woman. This is the wild woman of Eichen. I am not supposed to be beautiful. I am not supposed to sit before the observant eye of a sunflower. I am incapable of having a voice, like a robin singing of springtime's newborn impatience. Its balsams and touch-me-nots crouch so low to the ground. Vases and I are not permitted to dally. If I were a name, it would be wallpaper. My hair is made of a million breathing paisleys. I've listened to you think about aloud about a 5,000-year-old world that does not exist. I am sitting here in the open, and you are there, dripping beneath your dark velvet, waiting for the light to reach you. I have wondered where you really live, why you cannot hear all the glass inside your syllables slide off the table whenever your mouth opens and is then closed. The story has not even begun. The only thing left inside my hand is my own quiet hand. I am the fourth sister. My floors stand together at golden angles. My head is packed with eager seeds crisscrossing in spirals 100 garlands long. It's over now. About my waist, dark and bright, there is a satin sash the color of sun-warmed eggplant still fetching on the vine. You cannot prevent me. And finally, I'm a big Wiz fan, the movie. After um, the one, um, I love San, uh, Stan, Sidney Lumet's uh, films very much, but The Wiz, I think, should go down in history. as one of the most beautiful films ever made um, about black people. It was also, in terms of American cinematic history, the largest African-American cast. For example, in the fabulous uh, scene done at the foot of the World Towers, there were 300 actors and three costume changes and 200 handlers, and all of the costumes were done by about 15 designers who are now very famous and none of us can afford their clothes. But, you know, it's, rem- it's a remarkable film on so many levels. I-, I can't go into it now. I really wanted to write a whole, like, critical historiography of the film. Instead, I wrote a series of poems, and this is one called Fluorescent after Sidney Lumet's The Wiz. In their heaven, and it's the last one, sorry, and thank you very much. (laughs) In their heaven, 
God is a politician who can't get enough votes to be the dog catcher. All the bodies we have missed return outlined with fluorescent chalk. The sun is a big green apple dangling in a scarlet sky. Masses of people bind themselves up onto birch poles to be pecked out pecked at all day by anti-intellectual crows. All the trash cans have saber teeth. After school, they snatch and swallow little brown boys. If we make it there, our own kind points us towards the sky's back door. When we try to escape, each taxi drives away from our outreach hand, suddenly off-duty. But in my heaven, there are five sparkling Chrysler buildings, and I take you to the top of every one. God is a melodramatic comedian who looks and curses just like Richard Pryor. The angels wear discarded clothes made from quilted and painted dungarees. They carry orange and yellow pom-poms, and they know how to cha-cha. Deep emerald rivers twist around the city, not the east nor the Hudson, but seven Mississippis. Between abandoned buildings and vacant lots, corn stalks and sunflowers grow wild. On Saturday nights, I make us egg salad sandwiches, take out the boat, then row and row. There is a hurricane in which our whole world spins. It's held inside the infinite palm of a goddess who looks like Lena Horne's twin. She's wearing a gossamer headdress plaited with all the undiscovered galaxies. I am the scarecrow, tin man, and lion combined. My head is a ticker tip of garbage. I can't feel a fucking thing, and I am terrified. But you, somehow, you, are skipping next to me, click-clicking the whole way in five-inch glass pumps made of plate chrome. We wonder together about the history of history. The Brooklyn Bridge is folded up inside my pocket. Someday, I will put it on your finger and beg you to marry me. Between us, all the words I want to say ricochet, exhausted, sweating. When we stride down the street, the graffiti opens its large coffee eyes. It follows our yellow, freckled footsteps and stands there, quietly listening. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Carlo, if you please. Carlo Paul. All right. Hello, everybody. How are you? Please forgive me. I got to pay my meter in about uh, 15 minutes. So if you see me running out of here. Okay. Four poems. Okay. Skinny dipping. We take off. Without flashlights, half past midnight as shy flashes of lightning streak across the sky between summer clouds. You lead the way as we march behind, six deep, single file, in a thick drumbeat of flip-flops down a tricky landslide of wood stairs towards the hungry lion's den of waves. We take off our shoes first like guests, and stand there with bare feet on this empty stretch of beach. Behind us is the line of neatly dressed cabins perched high along the hill, looking half asleep, 
you close your eyes as if praying while we unhook tops or unzip bottoms and throw ourselves naked into the dark, breezy Chesapeake before lightning peaks again. Soon, your laughter drowns out our splashes because finally, tonight, you want in. Finally, tonight, you will take off your robe and your crown. Next one is called Falling Stars. Um, in Haitian folklore, uh, a falling star means someone will die. The funerals began 10 years ago, not long after I saw a falling star make a tear across pre-morning sky. Aunt Gislaine, the firstborn, went first. She passed away quietly, early one dawn, from cancer, months after visiting Haiti. A year later, cancer took my grandma, my grandma too, in New York. But I believe her heart was already broken. The third star belonged to a cousin with MS, lighting one midnight sky so brightly, we gasped. They said Aunt Frederick's star was a long time coming. Too much alcohol. It was too late. She was married to Uncle Jules once. He died the first summer after her death, also from cancer. So suddenly, it's still hard to believe. And I learned that the stars still fall, even if we are not related, when Fabus died, my friend, the young poet born in Haiti. If you've never seen a falling star, it arcs like a hand waving goodbye. Sometimes it glows like an angel coming. Um, this third poem is called uh, The Moon Bounce in the Strip Club. This is for, uh, oh, we got a couple of strip club fans here. Oh, yeah, this is for Club D2s. Bigger than an elephant in the room, yet we pretended that it just wasn't there with us in our somber adult outlet where Moon Bounce is usually a stage name written in elaborate cursive tattoo or a cheeky pole routine that reaches zero gravity. Yet there it was, sitting largely silent, all orange, red, and yellow in the grayest corner of the room until somewhere during the night, we grown folks flipped out and unexplained long lines formed of exotic dancers and curious Johns for this childish moon bounce until it was tipping and shaking ferociously with every body inside of it, jumping, falling, and the loud screaming of recess. <laughs> this last poem is called, <laughs> it's a true story. Last poem was called, Was Jesus? And this is on the Cave Condom website. If you go under fellows and see my picture, my name, this poem. Final poem. Was Jesus? Was Jesus a mama's boy? And is it sinful to ask, since he was born to a young virgin, is it wrong to wonder where would his masculinity come from? 
or ask if this was an extra cross he had to bear to carry himself through the makeup of his young mother? Did this kill him, that he was not the rugged type of carpenter, but a slight man who walked on water? Was there an ache deep inside his chest to prove like he did those 40 days and nights, roughing it alone in the desert, that he could lift this entire world on his shoulders and die on that cross like a man. Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Thank you. Um, Next up is uh, Bettina Judd and Katima Lee, although I've been sitting here thinking I want to, particularly since this is being taped, I want to apologize to those Kavikana people on the West Coast. I do not want to start any Tupac Biggie thing uh, in the black poetic community. Um, So, (laughs) uh, um, and, And I really do love the West Coast people, but the distances are so enormous, whereas we're all just sort of jammed up here on the east side. But in any case, uh, Bettina, if you would, please. I was born here, but I was raised in, in the Los Angeles area. You know, I, I half can rep, but they, they will tell me I can't. So um, in 2006, I had an ordeal with medicine. To say I had an ordeal is curious to me. An ordeal is a test of guilt or innocence, where one is subjected to a great deal of pain. I must have been found guilty of something. I don't feel innocent here, lurking with ghosts. See, it happens like that. I start at a thought that is quite benign and end up here, peccant, debased. I had an ordeal with medicine, and I was found innocent or guilty. It feels the same, because I have memories and I live in a haunted house. During the ordeal, I began to question why it should happen to me, and the memories came. A house can be a dynasty, a bloodline, a body. I had an ordeal with medicine, and I was found innocent or guilty, like the way the body is murdered by its own weight when lynched. Verdicts like these come in a bloodline, guilty as a neck snapping. A ghost may be called a spook. I had an ordeal with medicine, and I was found innocent or guilty. Many punishments are not about guilt or innocence. There's a precedent for this, a legacy inherited in the body. In 2006, I had an ordeal with medicine. I lost an ovary and was haunted by spooks who also had ordeals with medicine. While I heal, I ask why they came to me. The research question is, why am I patient? Um, A little appropriate since this is Baltimore, and I'm sure some of you are familiar with um, Rebecca Sklutz, The Mortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. The researcher haunted by the living talks to the dead. There are other kinds of hauntings, where the living sit up from what I imagine is asleep and stare at me. The sleep is just disappearance, the safety in research of there are no survivors, but when there are, they haunt. It's much easier to chase after ghosts. At first, I thought I feared your eye, Mrs. Lax, but now I realize it is the gaze of your survivors on me now as if somehow I should make monument to you. Instead, it is as if, instead, I am figuring my life through your death. You're right. 
the haunting is more my own gaze than the, than theirs or yours, scrutinizing the inadequacy of my notes, notes that can never contain the grave trampling of narrative, the what has happened here of your life, the premium cable telling of it. Pathology, a noun, one, sorrows or sufferings, two, the branch of knowledge that deals with emotions, three, the study of disease from the Oxford English Dictionary, or an easy diagnosis, the way a term announces its own sickness, third world, ghetto, housing project. We always understand the course of the virus, the smell of its bacteria, the color of its pox. Among these symptoms are the shadows of the point of contact, contract. Work camp, shanty town, the res. These things subsume pathology so that we, even those of us who are ill, no longer see suffering but mundane existence. Or, question, hi, grandmother, how are you? Answer, fair to Midland. The researcher's initiation. Late evening, February 16th, 2006. The doctor says that they'll have to do another pelvic exam. I tell them I've had three today. I tell, I tell them that gynecology was built on the backs of black women. A black nurse with a natural who I'd never seen before administers the exam. How then, if I lie unexposed, will I join ranks? There's an opening here, a thrusting, a triumph, a, cli a climax, a little death. Who will rise from that and how? Why would they not just stay dead and forget us? Why did I choose to remember you? You lying in bed with me, Anarcha Westcott of Alabama, Betsy Zimmerman, um, Betsy... Wilson, Lucy Zimmerman, you brushing my head, Joyce. Why do you mourn me singing as if I am the one who has died? And this this will be my last one. Um, the researcher after memory, February seventeenth, two thousand and six. Um, a line from Lucille Clifton: "I keep remembering mine." It's like when a black person says, that's racist, to a white person, and the white person refuses to believe. Maybe, that's, maybe the best thing to do is to say, this moment is steeped in a racist history. This racist history is indelibly printed on my memory. You don't remember, because if you did, the history would cease to be, exist in this moment. But they can't hear this. They can only hear what they're not, and that's racist. There's another kind of memory here. A memory of absence. I was never here. I am not here now, on the table, on all fours. I am not here singing hymns. I never nursed George Washington. I never had a child, never had a fistula. I'm a ward wildly out of control, lashing out, drinking whiskey, addicted to opium, cutting open the bellies of my sisters. Thank God you are here, doctors, to end all of this suffering. Please cut me open soon. Let my blood remove this death. I've been patient long enough. Thank you. Thank you, Bettina. And now, Katima Lee. Thank 
Thank you. Um, this is my first reading as a Kaveh Kahnem Fellow, so I'm especially excited. <laughs> and I want to thank um, Reginald for this opportunity to read with such amazing poets. Um, the first poem I'm going to read is for families who have lost someone to drug addiction. Elegy for my sister. In the park, a red bird caged in dead branches sits still, almost frozen, enclosed in a space of nature's creation. The elements welcome it by melting the snow, slowing wind, raising the sun just enough to warm its wings. Below it on the ground, crocuses blossom, some with a strong purplish hue. The creek nearby claps quietly against the rocks, and all feels right in the world, right but somewhere deep in the district, my sister haunts hallways in vacant lots, never taking flight. Sand, cement, and abandoned cars her perch. She sleeps in high-rise catacombs, hollow spaces layered in rust. Cold, dark places welcome her and others, searching for atonement. Apparitions to their families now. Many are forgotten, never mourned. Just bones, then dust, talents never known. My sister was an artist. She'd sketch every new face she'd see, shaping eyes, shading noses. That's how I remember her now. Full tablets with charcoal images, paints and faint memories of what it's like to have an older sister. I never could understand addiction. Nothing ever helped me like that. I wish I had a cage of branches to put her in. Okay, so this next poem was inspired by just the many faces we see when we ride the metro. It's called Riding Backwards. In the tunnel, between stops, light slaps the train and faces lose their color like newspaper photos, plain, mostly gray. Between the sliding doors and aluminum bars sits a woman, hair a rusty brown, wiry, grazing her shoulders. Other figures bounce on the laminated glass, but she has no luster and is as flat as her reflection on the encasement. Why is she so dim? I can't help but wonder, did she give up botanist dreams of hybrid roses, cerulean petals set above thornless stems, and marry the first man who made her come? Did she listen to his hypnotic snore and forget she planted the seed she planted, have his babies, then push fast forward, whether she's on the right track? Are we the same traveler trying, trying to delay our destination? Is she me? Even now, as I look at myself, flash floating against the current, I see how much of me time's taken. Thank you. Okay, this next poem was inspired by one of my favorite myths. It's called Meditations on Falling. One. If he made them better, used glue that bonded feathers to flesh, you'd still be flying. I imagine you skipping pebbles across the sun, teasing airplane passengers sitting in window seats. I see you making people on the ground duck as you drop, a bird feeling the joy of beating wings in air before ascending, eyes closed into a vacant blue. And there be spectators questioning why you won't come down, why the heavens hold you the way they do. There'd be no splash, no busy farmers ignoring a child who's fallen from the sky, no cries to a father who wouldn't save you if he could. Two, he saw you falling like a pintail filled with buckshot, 
wings amputated, exposing the shoulder's blade, a foolish angel forced to be mortal, arms flailing, trying to catch a hold of something, anything more solid than air. You call out in a voice you know he knows. You want him to become an eagle after a hatchling dropping from a nest. He's the reason you're free-falling into a sea you can't survive in. He knew you couldn't resist spitting in gravity's eye or the sensation of coasting in the cool clouds, the warmth of sun on chilled skin. Three. When I was nine, my mother dropped me off at school. It was a snowy day, streets of slush, evergreen bushes draped in cotton. She didn't know that school was canceled, and I was left to find my own way home. I had to cross a four-lane highway. Cars splashed sandy ice on me as I stood on the curb, looking for a clear path, a chance to make it to the other side. The cars rushed by like waves during high tide, collapsing into each other, a blur to my young eyes. I stood afraid of to cross a violent ocean of traffic. I could barely breathe, scarf tightly tied around my neck. I gasped for air, looked up, and saw all the wide sky. Four, in the dream he saves you, wraps your fingers around his talons. He catches you right before your toes touch the unconcerned water. This time, nothing stops him. No blinding rays or sting or melting wax. No fear of heights, his wide wingspan slicing air with feathers, resisting the earth's pull. You hold on tight, aware of his strength, his desire to protect his young. Eyes closed, a wind floats you both above mountains, stoic trees, a sea of smaller migrating birds. You think about land, a place to plant your feet, and how you like the feeling of nothing under them. Okay. And this is my final poem. It's called Ryokuosha, The Traveler. Was it the thunder that retracted my wings and made me dive head first and land on this tourist chair without feathers watching highway signs pass? I see faces hazy with light that extends through the tinted glass and hear voices, monotones, monotones whizzing past. The trees' carbon copy monuments blur into the, into the landscape. Between exits and stopovers on 95, the driver announces historical landmarks. Off Poet Parkway is Magnolia Grange, plantation named after the floral trees. He plays Biloxi Blues on nine-inch monitors scattered between rows, a movie about a writer who joins the, Mississippi, who joins the military and complains about Mississippi's heat, how it's Africa hot. The sun drops like I dropped, but where it lands, I'm not sure, maybe Nara, Japan, where Buddha welcomes the day and the unenlightened ones walk through his gates. But here, the moon introduces darkness, brags it's the only natural light. Synthetic beams hover, giving everyone an angelic glow, and soon my destination isn't important. My eyes fall slowly, gradually the plumage returns, and I become seraphic, feet covered, grateful for my wings. Thank you. Thank you, Katima. Thank you, and congratulations. Your first CC reading, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for thank you for letting us be here for your first reading. Um, <clears throat> one of the other things, as I mentioned about Kavikanam, um, we get together a week. Actually, I'm I've graduated, so I can't. And and those of us who've 
sort of done our four years are all trying to get back in because you can only go for four years or else we stretch it out for as long as possible. In addition to having a workshop group, um, you get to work with a variety of different established poets, including Cornelius Eady and Tori Derricotte and Elizabeth Alexander, and um, amongst them, um, Sonia Sanchez was there for a few years, uh, Baltimore's own, I found Michael Weaver for a number of years, and the recent poets who've been to Cavicano have had the pleasure of working with Thomas Sayers Ellis. I have been racking my brain to think of something to say about Tom that would be good for public consumption. Thank you, Tom, for making it impossible for any of us to write poems about Parliament Funkadelic anymore, um, because his poems about that which appear in the Maverick Room, Sir Knows Devoid of Funk, is one of my favorite astonishments <laughs> of, of all time. His new collection called Skin, Ink, Identity Repair Poems has poems about James Brown, who he knew personally, right? Uh, that is correct, I think. Um, and also about uh, Michael Jackson making other subjects that we can no longer write about because he's done it perfectly. He is, uh, was the co-founder of the uh, Amazing Dark Room Collective in Cambridge. Um, he's Professor Creative Writer at Sarah Lawrence, faculty member of Lesley University Low Residency MFA Program, Kave Kanem, uh uh, um, um, faculty member, um, winner of the Whiting Award. I think you did pay me back that $5, right? Okay, never mind. Um, and uh, one of the most amazing poets, and I say this in the best and of all possible ways, one of the great characters. Truly, you are. You know it. Don't, don't go there sit there going, you know that you are in all the best possible ways of American poetry. Let's not call this black poetry. Let's not even call this American poetry. Let's just call it poetry. One of poetry's giants. The real T-S-E, look it up if you know what I mean, Thomas Sayers Ellis. Don't believe the hype. Problem with Poe to us photographers is that he had no arms. <laughs> thank you, Reginald. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Sonata. And I have listeners. It's good to hear my friends. One's a former student, people I'm just meeting, and just tomorrow. The challenges continue. New book's called Skin Ink. I may say some things, I may not, but I'm going to read from it and flip around. And, um, it's about literacy, it's about race, it's about skin. It's about me, um, I think it was Cassius Clay, or at the time Muhammad Ali, who said, writing is fighting, when he was asked to pen his autobiography. So I always feel like I'm fighting in these poems. This is the title poem. I grew up in, my dad made me take Taekwondo because I was some skinny. And the first thing I learned was the up block. Poem begins with that image, if you've never been a karate freak. A black arm, unarmed, bent upward at the elbow, so the blow slides off. Wanted so bad back then to hit back, but didn't dare ever strike their tense, twisted spin, their ruled loose leaf. Paged air, 
First they conjugate you, then you die. Them laying out by their lonesome blocking sun, you shirtless serving drinks, one of the brown things they bleach, eat. If punctuation were a punch, I'd publish line breaks of fist. Sorry, I know, cracker and honky hurt. But nothing fruits a noose like the N-word, white acceptance or revolt. No more little boxes stacked like the ones in poems. A deeper sense of verse frees skin. I'm not merely in this thing. I'm in I'm it. Born in the morning to reform forms broken economy to sit in in the sit in in the margins. Thank you. Friends always call in and in interviews dreaded interviews, I'm always asked, are you page or are you stage? Are you hyphen or are you bridge? So I try to respond in my limited way with this poem. The book's still kind of new to me, so I don't know where things are. Let me see. No easy time, 62. And the other thing of the book is, is me traveling through the American and African-American literary tradition, adding what my, my auntie called her, my, my two cents worth, you know, to all the conversations, thematic and um structural that I heard in all the anthologies and all the classrooms over the years. So whatever my folk do, and we all have different folk, and some of will share folk, and inside of those folk, same and different folk, I try to replace the technical devices that I've seen in all the handbooks with the way we be. So you hear some of that in some of this. This poem has a million ellipses in them, and I'll try to suggest them when I get to them. No easy task. Suddenly our names were more than our own, our dramas too, and as if the craft of our inherited calling had only two camps of blackness, academic and spoken word, our best work, the work for all work, had to work on the page if we wanted to be published and on the stage if we wanted to be recorded, but mostly we just wanted to be whole, respected and known, and heard, reviewed and enjoyed, as in, in the tradition of variation and a loud noise followed by many louder ones, and not always as lonely as an I and not always as burdened as a we, and never anyone's token, hyphen, bridge, honorary anything, or literary pet. Even if the listeners weren't reading what we were scribbling, and the readers weren't listening to what we were spitting, even if an open mic never opened an open book, Haters and an open book, never book, an open mic, favorites, an ironic browbeat, if you a sonnet, 
If you a star, you wish you were higher. A sermon, inter audience, the audio antithesis of academia, wearing text to talk and talk to text. How dot 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 entertainment, po folk prosody, oral jewelry, flow. The problem with the American poetry is there's not enough Africa in it. Bling bling has more rhythm and imagery than both Dickmans. At the edge of subject poetics, at the center of subjects prose, the uneven ribs of verse with its progression of resurrections reverses outdated show-offs like Villanelles and Sestinas pretending not to perform. Costume form, the content of character, not the shape of content, shapes form. There's no such thing as formlessness. Applause. All poems perform. Thank you. We need the kids, so let them sing. Let them sing. Dwayne, I read with Dwayne Betts a few weeks ago, and his son was there. Let them sing. We writers, we silly, we try to find a way around the simple things like uh and ah and all those other little nuts and bolts. Here's one day when I tried or. Oreo, or worse, or ordinary, or your choice of category, or color, or any color other than colored, or colored only, or of color, or other, or theory, or discourse, or oral territory, or Oregon, or Georgia, or Florida, Zora, or Opportunity, or born poor, or corporate, or more, or a noir, or fias, or sangor, or diaspora, or a horrendous and tore up journey, or performance, or allegories, armor, of ignorant comfort, or worship, or reform, or a sort chorus, or electoral corruption, or important ports of Yoruba, or worry, or neighbor, or fear of, of terror, or border, or all organized minorities. Thank you. Yeah, I just want the race stuff. Pronoun vowel reparation song. I wear glasses, so I grew up in those little seats doing this. Right? Like Wu-Tang, it's for the kids. A-E-I-O-U Y-I-O-U Y why I, why O, why you? That's your part. Why? There you go. I before you. 
I before you, before you, before you, I A E U O me M E U O me A E U O me O U O U O M O E I E I O I U double O I E I E I O O I O after you O U after Q U U O U O U O I I E I I fix I E I equals E I A E U O I Apologize. Thank you. I'm wearing plaid pants and a striped shirt. I mean, a striped jacket. And um, I used to live in Cleveland. And this is how we shop in Cleveland. I went to the department store to get this suit for some poetry thing. And it was this suit. And I wish I wore the pants, but I didn't like the top and the bottom, so I switched them in the dressing room, and I got the Mitch Mac suit. But I didn't get to wear the Mitch Mac suit. And I'm trying to live up to his introduction. <laughs> I is ver- varied in range, I hope. Let's see. It's a 35-page Michael Jackson poem at the back of this book. And um, I was at Cave Conum. In a poetry reading, Strathway, Edie, and Derek Hart were reading when we were when Frank Walker announced that Michael Jackson had just had died. And um, Rachel, you remember? And um, I couldn't listen anymore. I went outside and I wrote the words "Gone Pop." Just I never, I'm not that kind of poet. I'm not like you know. I'm not like a muser. Like I don't sit around like. Ugh. You know, that's not me, but gone pop. So I'm going to share some of that with you. Section one. Falco Belly Gora. Means brown falcon. It's for big bad mean old Joe. (laughs) He might be the second most demonized man in African American history. Who's number one? You know who. Ike. Born Leo, fire, a masculine, extroverted line. Born three months and three days before Black Tuesday. Up from that odyssey, from Fountain Hill to Oakland to East Chicago to Gary. An introverted Taurus, full of God's arrows at his side. Settled in a steel trap of steel mills, operating cranes, brown falcon with green eyes, and falcons like him did not fly. They fathered, then fought, then provided, then managed, favoring often the ground, not the sky's traffic of other talented talents, because the ground favored family. Poverty's abusive crossroads, paved with small prey, young sickle-shaped feathers, nine dancing offspring. Joseph wanted little falcons and got peacocks 
infinite vultures, a lonely prodigy. Two. Steel Town Boys. Magic City of Steel, the Steel City, U.S. Steel, all this strength in the regular town with the regular name, Gary. City in Motion, City of the Century, G.I. the G. County consisting of lakes, Lake County, Chicago land, land of poisonous air, hard to breathe, land hardened by agents, hardening agents, recording agents like Gordon Keith of Steel Town Records. Gordon was no Gordy, but he was their first big break, the one who got them off the ground, off the flat, T-shaped northwestern corner of Indiana, a separate class of usefulness for each of their gifts, Jackie, Toole, Toriano, Alloy, Jermaine, Carbon, Marlon, Nickel, Michael, Stainless. Being brothers prevents dislocation, being brown, corrosion, school, chores, rehearsal, talent shows, travel, strip clubs, kingdom hall. All the little boy in the studio wants is to be young. He does not want to be a big boy. He does not want to grow up and get the girls like his brothers. All he wants is bubblegum. All this rust resistance in a regular family with a regular name, Jackson, motto, we are doing great things. Try this. Catherine, Katie, his maiden name is Screws, as in turn off, as in Henry James. But her dad, got to be literary in the pole room. But her dad was Prince the Third, and his dad was Prince Junior, and his dad was Prince, Prince Screws. So when you think about Michael and all that funny, those funny names he gives his kids, they had already had that in their system. There are a lot of former slaves and things named after royalty. This is for um, poor like this. This is the ghost story part. Michael's, Michael's life is pretty much a ghost story. Gone now, but in life each executed a proper turn. Each progressed family, the dominant leg of social order. The first prince was a slave assigned after passing the well-being of his great-granddaughter, Catherine Screws. But even an ancestor, the best carrier of care, couldn't protect her from polio, the husband of her childhood. There are parts of marriages that are wars and parts of wars that are marriages, nasty civil ones. Prince becomes a tenant farmer, Prince Jr., a farm owner. When Joseph is unfaithful, the ghost of Prince punishes him with extra work, the heavy cotton of potato picking, to rescue his mother from all the farmers and the failed musician. Little Michael dreams he is a prince, harsh on his 
peasant brothers, but nice to rodents like mice and his bone-crushing snake. Latoya, the anti-Tito, a revenge masterpiece. Catherine's father, Prince Albert Screws, Prince III, Michael's grandfather, migrates from Barber County, Alabama, the birthplace of a ghoulish man with a paralyzed face, the king of southern populism, ghosts, even kindred ones, don't work for free. They expect benefits, left and right, and input, lifelong levels of fright, constant as the thin royalties of sibling rivalry. There are things, scary things, no one can protect the child from, like a broken guitar string. But apparitions like the ones haunting Katie's walk have been there, have been here before for reason. The older brothers are maturing. Their dreams, more male than Michael's and Marlon's, and every flicker in Suzanne de Pass. They're gorgeous, Cherokee, French, Bahamian, Russian, and Caribbean coach is a phantom supreme. Water balloons are falling. Boyhood about to burst. Which doors to be frightened of? Which doors to frighten from? For this reason, Suzanne, nicknamed Michael Casper. So as the Jackson 5 songs were climbing up the charts, they often passed Beatles songs coming down the charts. And um, for that reason and a few other reasons, and that begins Michael's weird relationship with Paul McCartney, right, which continues to this day. They were nicknamed at Motown the Black Beatles. The Black Beatles, Section 5. The screaming girls at the airport want brothers. They want to race, not run their fingers through afros, the shape of gold records. The kinky work of pleasure as natural as the kinky work of struggle. The only mop tops they've known drag wet floors, want to be wanted back, and schooled, I before E, except after C, maybe tomorrow, not yesterday, longing, not lost, their invasion, a solsation comes from within, it is not from England, it is not British, favorite sport, Jackson chasing ages and heights to match their own ages and heights. The only thing more exhaustive than 1970 was 1971. The large hysterical crowds, four consecutive number one hits. I want you back. Libra, ABC, Pisces, the love you save, Taurus, I'll be there. Virgo, but four is not enough of a crush. Five is, four is, fab, fab four, five, one more, a chance for ABC to kiss, let it be, for the love you save to stalk the long and winding road. Hard to hear anything in concert because of the screaming fan club position at the top of the charts, the number of weak knees at number one, 
teen hearts everywhere. Hearts on posters, heart stickers, sorbel heart patches, Jackson 5 coloring books, a J545 on the back of a cereal box. Cut it out. Tito heart DD, Jermaine heart Hazel, and everyone hearts Michael. Cartoon portraits framed by hearts. Color draining blue meanies hustling a yellow submarine out the back door. Heart-shaped stars on their dressing room doors. Johnny's heart. Two tragic drums stabbed in the snare. Soul merchandising. Groovy valentines. The bass lines. Heart bursts finished of darling throbs. A heart at the bottom of a cursive J. A heart at the bottom of a cursive five. Right on. few more. Just a few more. You know, they had a, a very talented drummer who was considered to be as talented as Michael. His name was um, Johnny Jackson. Not related at all. And he was stabbed in the heart by his girlfriend in Gary in maybe 91 or 89, something like that. And Janet paid for his... Um, if you ever saw them live, it's, you know, he was good. Section 6. Automatic, systematic. You guys know the story. Motown moves to L.A. and da-da-da-da-da to do Mahogany and Robbins the Wiz and all that good stuff, you know. And the groups kind of become second, so to speak. And the boys start complaining about the material they're given, blah, blah, blah. My theory is that Michael might be still with us and a different type of brother had they stayed in Detroit. But, you know, it's that Jerry Curl. Automatic, systematic. Like an illusion, the cuteness either wore off or was worked off or both out there in the constant sunshine, chest out in bare-chested West Hitsville, where out there the material they were given gradually weakened. Think Rockin' Robin, boys imitating birds. Think Ben, a ballad to a rat. This would never have happened in the D. Failed to chart in the D. And you were taken apart right there where it mattered in Studio A, the snake pit of hits. Fell again and you were never reassembled or scrapped for parts. Saying what you said you never can say. Goodbye. Forget y'all. The sun... Yeah, I got it. I built that stuff in there for y'all. <laughs> Saying what you never can say. Goodbye. The sun changed their bodies. Their bodies changed their voices. Catch the next one. Never a clear calendar. Always something on it. If not acne, then sessions. Studio produced like seasons. If not motorbikes starting and stopping. Then the motors of disco stopping and starting like an Earthquake, locked in Campbell Lock. A smart mime will either dance differently or dry up. Not one, but all five. Bodies down to the ground. Nature, fractured to a fault, has to be somewhat responsible for mankind's mechanical behavior. The sun, the sets, the dime, the stops, the roll, the bots. 
one thing, being on the West Coast, they did afford Michael a chance to see the young brothers that were popping and locking in the lockers in L.A. first. Right. So he stole that from Campbell West Coast. Yep, that's true. He borrowed that from, you know, Freddie Stubbs and, the, you know, Robot Jim and all those cats, the lockers. So the rest is history. Here we go. For Robin, section nine. We're around the whiz now. A scare, a crow, a pea, a cock. Every morning for five hours, mirrors are polite again. The man in it, the one resembling a hidden him, and the one hiding him accepts this, the fright wig, the coil legs, and tomato nose, all made up, all of a slow sudden, to scare nothing but his blues away. His blues are pimples. His pimples are witnesses everywhere, ready to eat in front of him and ready to eat off of him. He's a vegetable. And vegetable. Uh, that was the easy one, though. <laughs> he's a ve- let's take that out he's something he's a vegetable and veggies have enemies uh, abusive birds think of him the raven as tenement entertainment most can read scare but scare can't read them not without the straw stuff of bacon confucius socrates cicero the scraps of wisdom he counters emptiness with crows remind him Without a brain, you can't get down. Knock, need, walk, Bigfoot spin. The real whiz is Q. Q for his saturated emerald scores. Q for his barbecue love of. Not all peacocks are brilliant. Not all crows are dull. The boys had seen their first train of eyes at Gordy's mansion the day Michael first wanted, wished he was Barry's son. But Jermaine beat him to it legally. So he beat Jermaine to everything else, naturally. Family hurt, fully fanned and iridescent. Hotels to heart. Latoya screamed for them because, being boys, Joe's boys, they could not scream for themselves. Slow piano, cello coda, embroidered robes, all edged in glow. Brown files, a unit of sound of them. Time kept with their pointy necks. I hate this. Time kept with their pointy necks, their signature adult choreography of blame. You know at the beginning of that song, Heartbreak Hotel, one of my favorites, that's Latoya screaming. That's a great song, though. Living sin. But that's Latoya. She was grabbing like she wasn't good for nothing. He's good for that. I remember, what's the comedian's name? Called her a trifling hooker. What's his name? I can't think of his name. Had a TV show. Anyway. Yeah, Diana Radio. And in this Paul McCartney video with him. Okay, I'm about to finish this thing. What do you want? You want wacko jacko? You want a white skin black surgical mask? Pick one. Number 14, white skin surgical mask for the Angelas in the house. I think I was I was hearing um what's the song? Dun, dun, tuk, dun, tuk, dun, dun, when I was writing this thing, yeah, smooth criminal, yeah. I know it's, I had to say that so the audience could be involved. Mm. We are, but what we are we? 
if a pot. Ah. We are academic. We are, but what we are we? If a body gifted to many gods, black, rust, white. Ah. We start over. We are, but what we are we? If a body gifted to many gods, black versus white, male versus female, locks itself in infinite surgery, wellness versus wealth, the operating tables of pop, pharmacies nearby remastered, panic attacks dance for blood, every track for recovery slash for vitiligo makeup, translucence, the cellophane glow of pigment, incognito, dermatology versus nutrition, if race a transvestite, penis a dalmatian, prescribed protection, the tight green latex of bedtime fantasy, straight on till the nomadic black fashions of mourning, children don't heal when hidden in the damaged lungs of mileage, by ray to Ireland, Ireland to the platinum triangle, paradise sequins, saturates, platelet and palette, but all brown boys except one stay black. The rest left alone can wait. Thank you, guys. Thank you very, very much, Thomas Sayers Ellis. Wow. Thank you also, Katima Lee, Bettina Judd, Carlo Paul, Robin Cost Lewis, Rachel, Eliza Griffiths, and Kamal Rucker. We thank you very, very much for coming. And this was a wonderful afternoon, and we're very happy that you were able to share it with us. Thank you all so very, very much.